Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfin. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolum again omgrev or corn rachtum. Yatakshatorin Graven or Corson, Elistuhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs or Dukashin Echor. Only Venown, Thordorakshin. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. You know, we've kind of had this wild west of crypto, and that's not really sustainable, especially after the problems that happened last year. You sort of can't deny the thingness of crypto anymore. You can't pretend it's not happening. And I think what regulators are beginning to see is that they have to somehow get inside this world. It's extremely difficult for businesses to operate if they don't know what the rules of the road are. But if there is clarity, then that enables people to say, well, now I know what the rules are. Now we we can build products and services and therefore have clarity and launch products. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, in association with Square. Square helps you look after your business needs from menu management and online ordering to payments. Visit square.com for more. Now, everything is changing in the crypto world. There's new regulation and everyone seems to be delighted. So what's happened? Well, after years of trash-talking crypto as a Ponzi scheme and a waste of money, regulators have now started to embrace it and say that it actually might be valuable and worth regulating. Meanwhile, after years of saying that their digital currencies and assets freedom from centralized interference by politicians and men and women in suits was a core attraction, crypto enthusiasts are now seem to be embracing regulation and cheering their new besuited overlords. So if you have any interest in crypto, what, what does this mean for you? Which ones will thrive? Which ones will suffer? And what does it generally mean uh, for the rest of us? Well, joining me to discuss this today are John Isle, the Irish Independence Deputy Business Editor, and Laurie Kyo, co-founder of Blockchain Ireland and adjunct associate professor in Trinity College, Dublin. John, just before we get into it, briefly explain what the EU's new Markets in Crypto Assets MICA regulation for crypto is. Well, there's a couple of things happening in the world of regulation as it as it relates to crypto. As you mentioned there, you know, for years, crypto was kind of the wild west of finance. You know, it sort of operated outside the normal boundaries that normally regulated markets. You know, the rules that said how you buy and sell stocks or bonds or any other traditional asset. Crypto was, you know, happening in this sort of digital domain without much oversight. But now two, uh, two sets of regulations uh, are coming coming through. One is coming from the EU, the one you mentioned, the markets and uh, crypto assets. And then another one from IOSCO, which is an international securities watchdog, who's kind of an umbrella group for the likes of the FCA in the UK, the SEC in the US, and Baffin in Germany. 
And what they're doing is really kind of tightening the rules around how crypto operates and how it interacts with consumers. So looking at what the EU is doing, first of all, they're saying that anyone who's operating the crypto world has to obtain a license, right? And once they're licensed, that puts them in this domain where they have to know their customer, they have to adhere to anti-money laundering rules, and they have to know who the buyer and the seller is, you know, kind of who's on either side of the transaction. IOSCO's taking it a step further, and what they're trying to do is coordinate the rules between the 130 countries that belong to that organization and say, what's our common set of rules here? What's the, the, the baseline for how we deal with crypto firms, crypto assets, the buying and selling. And, and so we're going to regulate these markets so that they can't be manipulated, so that they can't hide money, and so that uh, especially client assets remain safe and secure from uh, the operational aspects of these companies. Okay, now can I just ask you on that? You use the word assets and mm. safety, but after years of trash talking crypto, referring to it as a Ponzi scheme, worthless, made up, isn't this a bit of a climb down, an acknowledgement that crypto is actually real and valuable. It's real in the sense that people are trading it as an asset, right? So you, you sort of can't deny the thingness of crypto anymore. You can't pretend it's not happening. And I think what regulators are beginning to see is that they have to somehow get inside this world, right? Um, you know, you mentioned the the you mentioned that regulators have called it a Ponzi scheme. They are still calling it that. Our own uh, central bank governor Gabriel McClough <coughs> said it within within the last few weeks. You know, and he made a distinction between what he called unbacked crypto, like Bitcoin, and then sort of asset-backed crypto, which is kind of linked to something underlying it, right? That holds up the value. So they're beginning to make that distinction. Part of it is because in the European Union anyway, the, the ECB wants to start its own digital currency. So they have to start legitimizing uh, this, this type Has of Has anyone, this to your knowledge, actually said, sorry, we were wrong. We were <laughs> wrong all along. This was actually a legitimate endeavor, which has created a store of value, which is legitimate enough for us to regulate now. I don't think they ever will say that. I think what they'll say is, uh, this is operating like a financial asset, so we have to regulate it like one. If you go back to, you know, part of what blew up um, what blew up the economy in 2008 was contracts for difference, okay? I don't think regulators like contracts for difference. These are these kind of derivatives where you're trading on which direction an asset is gonna go rather than the asset itself. Regulators don't like that, but they recognize that financial innovation is going to create derivative contracts like that, so they would rather be regulating them and telling people how to use them and how, how they can't use them than to say, those are just terrible and we shouldn't have them because it's always going to happen at the fringes and the margins. Mm. So I think the EU is is trying to get a grip on this and the same with IOSCO. And they're recognizing this has gone on for what, a decade or more. You know, we've kind of had this wild west of crypto. And that's not really sustainable, uh, especially after the problems that happened last year. Okay, Laurie, if I'm trading crypto, if I have an interest in cryptocurrencies or assets, as many hundreds of thousands of Irish people do, what might be different for me now under these uh, new uh, MICA rules? I mean, do I need to give more information about myself? Uh, to who? Do companies need to, to give more information? What's your takeaway from it? In short, the change to customers is is minimal, um, and it's minimal 
based on the fact that if you're using a recognized and reputable exchange, you will have had to already submit your utility bill or a copy of your utility bill mm. and a copy of your passport or driver's license to go through that process which John was talking about, which is know your customer. And that's the same process we got to go through when we're opening a bank account. And that is all about anti-money laundering. Now, there was a time 10 years ago where you were able to purchase crypto without going through those process, uh, without going through that process. Those days are long, long gone. So, but if, because we hear stories about someone paying somebody else by giving them a USB key with a million dollars of cold <laughs> crypto, you're saying that that's, those days are over. So uh, this is where you get into the world of companies that specialize in tracing um, scenarios like that. and. In scenarios like that, although I could hand you a USB with crypto on it, there's a point at which that crypto is converted to a dollar or a euro, as the case may be, and it's typically through regulated exchanges, and that's the kind of choke point. And so there's companies like um, like CypherTrace or Chainalysis that basically identify and track every single transaction that takes place of that kind of, of, of Bitcoin as it moves from one wallet to another to another to try and kind of um, to try and make it difficult for authorities to find. But inevitably, there's always a point at which it reaches an exchange and then that information needs to be um, delivered to law enforcement agencies. Okay. And that's the choke point. Okay, look, maybe this is me being naive or too simply observing the narrative, but doesn't the idea of regulation and accountability and transparency to centralised, politically appointed men and women in suits who sit in central banks and, and authorities, doesn't that strike at the core of, of crypto being sovereign and anonymous and all of these things that made it attractive to so many people in the first place? I I think there's there's a lot of truth in what you said. I think if you look at the, the, the Bitcoin maximalists out there, they would agree with what you said there. However, what we're seeing is that there's now 300 million people around the world using cryptocurrency who wouldn't have that same purest Bitcoin style view. Um, and so that's kind of, I guess, where where the difference is. They they like the fact that it is, once you are KYC, that it is easy to, to purchase. And then with regulation, what's coming in is, I guess, and, and we've spoken to this before, regulation brings standards and standards brings adoption. Um, and the kind of the crux of the matter around the markets and crypto assets regulation and IOSCO's um, proposal, it's extremely difficult for businesses to operate if they don't know what the rules of the road are. And especially if you're a traditional financial entity, if you are a big global bank and there's ambiguity about what the regulations are, you simply won't you won't play. You won't operate in that environment. It's too much risk. Um, but if there is clarity, then that enables people to say, well, now I know what the rules are. Now we, we can build products and services and therefore have clarity and launch products. Mm. And that's that's the key piece about this. OK, launch products within conventional financial systems and instruments. I was looking at remarks that uh, one of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission's uh, members, the chairman, in fact, Gary Gensler, uh, made last week. And he he was suggesting that a new regulation, both in the US and the EU, would probably have a solidifying effect for the bigger currencies and the bigger blockchains. You mentioned Bitcoin, uh, for example, and he thought that it, it would be very bad for the smaller coins and the smaller assets because people, the institutional money, if there is any, would go toward uh, Bitcoin. He was even suggesting that Ethereum might be uh, hit by this. What, what do you think about that? 
I think, I guess, hard to say, given where we are right now. Um, if we're looking at the overall crypto market, what, it was over 3 trillion at its peak, I think, in, in 2021. We're now back to, what, 1.2 trillion. So that's the kind of size of the of the reductions taking place. Um, I think a lot of the smaller cryptos out there um, and the lesser known have effectively gone either to zero or close to it. Um, and that is because simply they're, they're there's no function behind them. There's no appetite. There's no um, uh, there's no real interest in investors in those areas because Although, they're not doing anything. Ironically, to perversely sum up, <laughs> round up the conversation we've just been having, if the maximalist view of why crypto was a good thing initially was because of lack of regulation and autonomous sovereignty, might that not in turn in a cyclical way now spur interest in smaller coins who decide not to uh, to, to opt out of, of regulatory systems, who try to operate at the fringes of the margins exactly the way as Bitcoin did 10, 15 years ago? Again, potentially very hard for me to, to comment on that. And also, I think if there are entities that are operating at the edges, I imagine they will be um, they will receive, you know, notifications or emails or contact through various agencies for the way they're operating. Do you know who you're talking like? You're talking now like the man. You've suddenly become the man. You were the person who was kind of sticking to the man a few years ago. And now you're the man. I've taken off my mask. Yes. Yeah. John, um, what effect have high profile scandals like the FTX collapse, mm -hmm. for example, um, have on this regulatory push? How, how should we consider the weight of those scandals uh, right now? Well, I think last year was a huge wake up call. Uh, Laurie just mentioned there the decline in value in the market from three trillion to one point two trillion. Like that is a huge amount of people's money just evaporating, essentially. Right. Um, and you know, and and that happened for a lot of reasons. Part of it, I I think, is because of the unregulated nature of crypto. Part of it is because the dumb money started coming in, uh, which happens in all kinds of markets. You know, you see it in mortgage securities, you see it in the stock market. It's it's not uh, restricted to crypto. And also, 2022 was when the interest rate environment changed as well, right? So a lot of people were searching for yield, and they tried to find it in crypto. Interest rates went in a different direction, and it's caused problems in the tech world, it's caused problems in commercial real estate, and it caused problems in crypto, right? So the the reason people were in crypto stopped being as compelling, and people started taking their money out, et cetera, et cetera. We've seen that happen in other industries, too. FTX was obviously the huge explosion in the sector. You know, in November, this was a $26 billion uh, crypto exchange with a hedge fund attached. Part of the problem there was the asset mixing. You know, you had the, the hedge fund um, had 10 billion of assets, you know, that came from the exchange, and then it, it kind of put them in the tokens that were issued from the exchange. So all of these Chinese walls that are supposed to exist between the investment part and the exchange part and the currency part just didn't exist there in FTX. So when it started blowing up, the contagion effect um, was pretty serious, you know, uh, and a lot of people obviously lost money. And, you know, that bankruptcy is still working. It's working its way through the courts. Um, so regulators looked at this and said, wow, some of these exchanges, some of these firms that are trading in crypto are dealing with quite large amounts of money. They're interconnected. Uh, and the last thing we want is a spillover into the so-called real real asset economy, right? So, you know, the impetus to get on top of this quickly, instead of just waving it away as a Ponzi scheme, because really, who's going to listen to uh, some uh, bank regulator in a central bank in Frankfurt or Dublin or London? Those aren't the people who break through, right? So, 
you know, just kind of trying to brand crypto as Ponzi or dangerous was very ineffective. And I think what they had to do was start turning the ratchet on regulations and start using the fact that people have to put their names down when they register a company. Mm. Um, and once you do that, then you have a lever, a legal lever on them. And they're doing that now. But like, you know, listening to Laurie talk, like the the industry has become more sophisticated and it's not just a bunch of con artists. That's clear. You know, there is the sort of aspect of it, the Sam Bankman-Fried, which was, you know, maybe a bit nebulous. Let's use that term <laughs> before mm. we have legal clarity he on what's embraced. going on there. Yeah, he was By completely embraced. And I think people were very figures. excited about the innovation they were seeing in the sector and maybe some of the brains behind it, let's say, and certainly in his case. Um, but the exchange aspect of this, and people are beginning to realize, as Laurie said, that to broaden it beyond the 300 million people who are using it now, you need that security, you need common standards, you need switchability, and you need transparency. And you really won't get that without an agreed set of rules, and an agreed set of rules will come from regulators. Do you think then that we're almost at the point where it's not just blokes primarily through their Revolut app or <laughs> um, who want to take a punt and get rich quick, or maximalists, which is even an even smaller niche, are going to start looking at crypto for investment yeah. purposes I still, in Ireland. I still think it'll stay blokey for a while. I mean, if you look at other types of financial innovation, like spread betting was very big, you know, a decade or more ago, and that was mostly a kind of a male undertaking. Um, you know, but then fintech generally, like there is a sort of more, let's say, feminine side to fintech. You know, companies in the States like Betterment, which is all about sort of security. It's a, It's like... It's a much better kind of technical interface for investing than your standard stockbroker investment I don't bank. mean to <laughs> invoke sort of gender issues yeah, into yeah, it, yeah, but yeah. what I'm really asking okay. is, does do these regula regulatory initiatives make crypto a more interesting or mainstream or uh, normal investment for someone like you or Charlie Weston mm. or or someone else to be writing about or to be in, in you know in mind. That's right. I I think a hundred percent that's true. You know, um, I I worked in a stockbroker for a few years, as crypto was sort of gaining prominence, and it was something that a handful of customers would ask about. You know, let's say the 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 customers who are most active in terms of trading stocks uh, or doing contracts for difference would get interested in crypto and might ask about it. But the firm didn't want to touch it because the firm didn't know where it stood, right? So what an, what an investment bank or a stockbroker has to ask itself is, what is my responsibility to the customer when we're dealing with these assets, right? And if you don't want to deal with that thorny issue, you're just not going to touch it. You just won't make it available. But now with regulators coming in and saying, oh, okay, well, we're going to issue licenses. We have this set of rules around it. And we're going to give you the security now that you can create products and services that you can give to your customers. I think that domesticates crypto quite a lot. Now, to your point about it no longer being that sort of uh, edgy, decentralized thing, I think that's inevitable. But also, if you look at um, the investment world, there's still unregulated aspects to the investment world. If you're a certain type of customer, usually with enough money, you can gain access to the sort of unregulated private markets where you can really get the sort of juice. You know, you can get your 18% return or whatever. But that's not for most people. Uh, and I think crypto will eventually probably settle in that sort of territory. Mm. Laurie, I've had you on this podcast a couple of times over the years, and you have always 
pushed this idea and made the point that eventually and inevitably crypto would end up uh, in an institutional context. And you, you, you've pointed out many times big companies that were looking at it. We're now seeing more and more of that incrementally, maybe a little slower than, than you might have thought. So it's fair to say that at least for some of your predictions, you've been correct. What do you think is coming next uh, with crypto? Well, big question, yeah, and, and, and yeah, even a broken clock is wrong, I guess, twice a day, right? So um, what is coming next? I think certainly over the remainder of this year, we're going to see institutions gear up to be regulator and MECA ready. So that's especially in, in this part of the world. So that's kind of a big focus. I think another key piece is that we're going to see other jurisdictions bring out their own rules. So the UK is moving swiftly and that could even be actually, you know, this week or next week when they set out their uh, specific rules. Just on that, what is the value of MECA in, in Europe without corresponding regulation in other major uh, economies and blocks. I guess the key thing from a European specific perspective is the ability to passport. So you create a, a hub, let's say, for your Mika hub in Ireland, in Dublin, um, and then enables you to provide those services to the other member states on, on a seamless basis. So that really is the, the draw for Europe. Um, to your point then, other regions, what we are seeing is, I guess, because there's been such a big substantial piece of work by the, the European Union, we're going to see other regulators probably copy a lot of them, uh, the, the approach that the EU has taken. I'm sure they will make changes in order to make those specific regions advantageous and to attract business there. But ultimately, we have seen the, the EU take the lead in this space. It's on the front foot. Um, and I do think it's, it's positioned um, the EU favourably, um, and we in Ireland will hopefully Favourably from whose point of view? Favourably from other jurisdictions, because it goes back to that clarity piece. Because there are rules of the road here, companies are going, well, now we know what we can and can't do in Europe. We probably need to look at how do we, you know, how do we increase the investment we're making or launch more products there. Okay, and I keep coming back to this uh, you'll forgive me, this idea, this dichotomy between the institutional trader and economic interest and the small holder, the person who over the last few years has tended to try and trade in, in crypto, maybe because they believe in it, but also because they wanted to make a, a large return. From their point of view, um, is this neutral, good, bad? Does it make it easier? Does it make it less likely that they'll see big returns in future? Um, I think, by and large, the impact to the kind of you know average Joe, if you will, um, trader, it will be minimal in the in the short term. What you should get out of this, though, is the the entities that meet the Mika requirements. You should feel um, that they are reputable organizations. They're being effectively monitored, um, and that you can you know, effectively trust them, as opposed to entities that don't meet that test. Like mm. then, I'd be thinking, you know what? Perhaps customers really need to go into their go in with their eyes wide open. Should I be making a purchase from an entity which is not regulated? In the same way, would I buy a banking product from an entity that is not regulated today? M my personal view on that is no, I wouldn't. Okay, now I'm going to half put you on the spot here. I, I don't like asking guests uh, on crypto to name currencies or anything that they think are going to perform. Mm. However, having said that, it's a fair question to say that 
if you're looking at an asset class, whether it's technology or, um, you know, the stock market or or anything else or gold, whether that is a good bet for to perform over the next five, 10, 20 years, what the structural issues are there. Would you say, in your opinion, that crypto is a decent, good, strong outperform um, uh, category over the next five, 10, 15 years? Um, the way the way I look at this is probably kind of twofold. One is I am it's really looking at your overall portfolio, right, um, of investments. So I think you need to look at you know your proportion relative to your objectives and your age and your timeframes for the investments that you make. So I think you have to have a, a certain amount in equities um, slash stocks. You need to have a certain amount in bonds and property. Um, and then also, well, you're, you're talking now like a banker, okay? <laughs> what I'm really asking is, do you believe strongly in crypto as an asset class for the next decade? Personally, I do, um, and let me support that with a, with an important point. It's of course people look at prices, right? It's very hard not to do that, and that's natural. But what you need to do in order to understand cryptocurrency and blockchain more broadly is you need to look at the underlying heartbeat of um, of blockchain and crypto and of the various protocols. What I mean by that is, is that at the moment there are now more smart contracts being developed by developers than ever before. So that's number one. Number two, there are more apps or decentralized apps being developed than ever before. Um, there are more library pools, which developers basically pull libraries in order to create new products and services than ever before. So the heartbeat of the ecosystem, which is resulting and will result in new products and new services, is actually has never been stronger. It's never been beating louder. And what that ultimately means is that there are new products and new services that are being built, which will come out in 12 and 18 and 24 months. We're yet to see those because they're literally in the in the factory, so to speak, right now. And that, for me, is what you need to keep an eye on. What do you know that the head of the Irish Central Bank doesn't? Because he keeps talking about this as a Ponzi scheme. Um, I, I, look, um, Governor McAuliffe is a very intelligent individual, and, and he has a very clear job to maintain financial oversight, protect customer, and or sorry, protect consumers. And, then and he also, calls it a Ponzi scheme with that as his remit. And. I, I understand that that's that's his role um, and that's his view. Um, I take a I take a different view. Okay, well you heard a hearse, uh, you heard it here first, folks. Laurie Kill may be the next uh, uh, head of the central bank in Ireland in five to ten years' time. But with that, I'd like to thank uh, Laurie Kyo, uh, co-founder of Blockchain Ireland and an adjunct assistant professor in Trinity College Dublin. And John Isle, who's the deputy business editor of the Irish Independent. Also, thanks to Tabitha Monanun, who produced today, to Gav Hennessy, who is on sound, and to Conan Doherty on video. I've been Adrian Weckler, hosting this episode of The Big Tech Show in association with Square, and I hope you'll join us next week. Bye bye. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull, that's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now wherever you get your podcasts.